0: Let's get into the text. John 15. I'm just going to read a few verses of it. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. We don't use the word abide very often. We use the other words that get translated for this. They're words like stay, remain, continue. Those are the words that usually get translated. But Jesus and the translators of the text like the word abide. It, it connotes stay staying with, being rooted in. We could talk agriculturally. Keith used the illustration of a tree with a root system. You, you, you chop that trunk off, you can prop it up all day long, but if it's not connected with the root system to draw up the moisture and the nourishment, it, it's, it's not going to live. I thought actually about bringing some props, grabbing a bunch of dead sticks and bringing them in here. There are people who think that that's what a church is like, a bunch of individual sticks, indi- you know, individual members who are, who are collected together. But if they're not connected to a root system in which there's nourishment and water flowing from root to branch, there's not going to be life. We, we could use the illustration that the Bible so often uses about Jesus being the head And we're the body, the members. (laughs) You don't want to disconnect the head. You're not going to have life. But when Jesus uses the illustration as he's talking to his disciples, he says something that really is striking. And it explains a little bit why he uses this term. He says, I'm the true vine. Now, you and I hear that. I'm the true vine. And we say, okay, Cabernet. Chardonnay. Man. I mean, we're, we're cultivated in a world of wine drinkers. Jesus wasn't. He was cultivated in a world of Old Testament knowledge. And when Jesus said that, he had in mind this Psalm 80. Lord, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The vine was Israel. The vine was God's transplanted people taken from Egypt, put in the land of Canaan for a reason. You remember the reason? For the display of his splendor. It was a people planted on the main highway between the Babylonian Syrian empire and the Egyptian empire, the two grand empires of the ancient world, everybody who did commerce, everybody who traveled had to come by way of I-95. And I-95 went right smack dab through the vine. And it was intended to be for the display of the splendor of the God who had put them there. They existed for his reputation. Why? Because he was an egotist? No. They existed for his reputation so that the nations who lived in darkness and cruelty and ugly displays of power and unrighteousness and bad leaders and poor people, so that they would have something to look for and get a vision. There is hope in this world. You remember the queen of Sheba comes later to visit Solomon and she says, I've heard of you and I've heard of your God, but I never imagined his reign would be so great you see, the nations, the people outside of the kingdom of God, they have visions too. They have hopes too. The people in Jacksonville who are not in Christ or whose experience in church was in legalistic, judgmental, self-righteous organizations or organizations who didn't really believe anything or organizations where the, where the pastors and the leaders were sexual abusers. I mean, those people, they have dreams and visions, but they were crushed in churches. And so when you invite them to church, they look at you like you're nuts. What is it that's going to give them vision? What is it's going to give them hope? Well, Jesus said, Israel failed to be the vine. Now, I'm the vine, but you, and he uses Two different different words for you. He uses the singular in one verse, talking about each one of you, and he uses most of the time the plural, talking about the, the group, the community. You are the branches. I'm the vine. I'm the one that sources the life, but you're the people who are on display. Now, what does he mean specifically when he talks about abiding? There's a couple of clues in the passage. I want to point you to a couple of them. The first is, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words abide in you, there's some connection between abiding in Jesus and abiding in his word, not just staying in Bible studies, not just making sure that you have good discussions about the sermon in your community groups, but making sure that the word that you hear gets into you and begins to live and thrive in you so that it begins and continues to change you. You know, when you get to be a little older and you come back to visit a church that you once served, you see people whose story you knew up to chapter 11 and then you missed out on 12 13 14 15 and now you come back and you see him in chapter 16 of their life and you say to yourself wow what has God done there that's impressive God's taken that and oh, changed it and grown it and matured it and Carol and I had just been oohing and eyeing all day about the people we've seen that God has been at work at. We love this. This is an honor for us to be back and see what God's doing with you. When when the word of God abides in you, when when the word of God is alive within you, and that only happens when you're a people that is in the word so that the word becomes in you. There's, There's a practice that becomes a residence You are studying and reading and hearing the word of God and it becomes residential in your heart and it begins to shape the way you think. That doesn't happen overnight. That happens over a long time. Knowledge has to become wisdom, biblical language. But knowledge doesn't become wisdom unless it's lived out through the crucible watching other wise people who are older and who are more experienced and who are wiser and you follow along behind them. So that's the first thing that that he means when he talks about abiding in Christ. You stay in the word so that the word abides in you. And then the second thing is he says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. You know, I, I, I cut my teeth in the ministry back in the day when we really thought that the best way to do, to do kingdom warfare was to fight over doctrines. I was pretty good at it, but we began to realize that being in the truth isn't really truth unless it is manifested in love. I think there was a time in my father's life when he talked about that and, and said to me, you know, you, you, you got to stand for the truth no matter what it costs you. And, and and don't be like those people that are always talking about love, love, love. And, and, and finally it dawned on me, Dad was wrong. And I was wrong. I was wrong to try to separate what God says are the two sides of the one gospel coin. Truth always loves. Love never is afraid to speak the truth. And that truth and that love is embodied in Jesus who John 1 earlier in this very book says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace or in the Hebrew love and grace love and grace and truth both both and that's what it means to abide in Christ you you have to be so in the word that the word is in you and then it has to manifest itself in loving and speaking the truth. Those two things never separated from one another. Okay, why does it matter that you must be that kind of people? I hinted at it a minute ago when I said we're living in a world that doesn't really understand why churches like East and in-town and whatever you're going to call the plant out at the beaches is—they is, don't understand why you are here. They think that it is yet another brand. You know, there's McDonald's and there's Burger King and there's Chick-fil-A, and there's Presbyterians. And of the Presbyterians, there are multiple kinds. There's PCUSA and there's PCA, and then there's the really conservative PCA, and then there's the gospel-centric. PCA. Pretty soon, we are so fixated on the adjectives that we've lost the noun. We're followers of Jesus. Why are we followers of Jesus? So that the nations can see the splendor of a God whose love redeems broken people and sets them right again. Where else are they going to hear that message? from Harvey Weinberg? Is that we're gonna hear that message? Are they gonna hear it from the White House or the Congress? Really? Are they gonna hear it from either Fox or CNN or MSNBC? Really, come on, people. The only place our world is going to hear where hope is to be found, where redemption Allows you to have a vision is when they hear about Jesus Christ, the one who reconciles all things, things in heaven and things on earth, making peace through the blood of the cross. And the people who not only speak of that, but live it. That's who you got to be. That's your calling. John 15 talks about that he says in verse 6 excuse me in verse 10 if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i've kept my father's commandments i've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full you you know i think you're you're sharp people you hear good preaching you know that there's a big difference between joy and fun, right? Fun is what the world passionately chases. Joy is what the children of God deeply own. Fun never redeems, no matter what the world thinks. It's a momentary pleasure, but it never Redeems. It never sets people free. It may anesthetize them for a few minutes or a few hours or a few weeks, but it doesn't set them free. Redemption is about setting people free. Joy is that taste in your mouth when God has set you free. Do you know that the people round about you in the city who are sated with fun? and desperate for joy will look at you at the word that's alive in you at the love that wraps itself around you at the community that you share a community that is sacrificial that is desperately loving they're going to look at you and they're going to say in some variant of this sentence I don't know what it is about you but I want some. They may not believe that it's real. They may be skeptical for a while. But you are the ones who live on display for the splendor of the gospel. You, you bearing fruit isn't an accidental byproduct, you bearing fruit because you're grounded in the vine, is the point. From Genesis 1, the point of God is to make creatures who are imagers of God, who are fruitful and multiply. They, they, they flourished. I love that word. They flourished. And when you live in Christ, you flourish. Because you're rooted in him, you, 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 you know his wisdom, you wrap yourself in his love, you express the joy that you have because of him, and then you love one another. The Bible calls that flourishing. And the purpose of your life as an individual, and then especially as a community of believers, the purpose. The so that of your life is to flourish in the gospel so that the nations can know him too. That's why it's so exciting for Carol and me to be back tonight. Not only to see how East has just flourished. Wow. Every time I come, I see hundred faces that I've never seen before. That was exactly the point of this whole initiative going back to 2005. The elders said to me when they called me, we've lost our missional vision for the city. Please help us get it back. What does that mean? That that means we are only looking at each other. We're not looking at the lost. We forgot that they're the point of us being who we are. And by God's grace, (laughs) this is a taste of flourishing. I was at InTown not that many weeks ago. It was so great to be there and see the blend of cultures and families and, and colors that God has assembled under Dave's ministry there. What a joy. My heart was filled with overflowing. And then to hear that a grand church is about to be born. Wow. You know, I'm not having babies anymore. I'm too old for that. But it's neat to have grandchildren. God's given us a bunch of them, and it's, it is so exciting to dream about grand churches, churches that will carry on to new places, to new generations, with the same pulsing juice of the vine running through its veins with the same vision of the leaves wanting to spread over all the nations and bring them the shade of the love of God so that, so that as they see you flourish under the grace of God, they will flourish too. We pray for you that you will live with that so that, abiding in the vine, grounded in his word so that it lives in you, wrapped in his love so you never think this is just duty, but it's joy and it's community so that. May God bless you in your efforts and give you much fruit. Father, I don't even know what the fruit looks like. I don't know if it means a church at the beach or multiple churches in the city. All I know is that Israel, who was called by God to be a special people, blew it. Because they were more concerned about themselves than about the so that They forgot that they were a display for your splendor, that they were to show your glory so that the nations would know you. Now, Jesus is the true vine, and he will get this done. But it is an honor to be a part of a community like this that lives in that purpose. Please give this movement your blessing, which is nothing other than saying, please make this vision flourish for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.